This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group, and today we're talking to Patricia Dodgen, CEO at Helix. Thanks for joining us today, Patricia. Thank you. We'd like to talk to you a little bit today about a couple different things in the world of privacy and security. The first is, I know you advise a lot of uh, physician practices about how to select and implement an electronic health record. What are the big uh, challenges for especially smaller group practices when it comes to uh, taking the necessary steps to keep their newly digitized information private and secure? I think there's a, a learning curve and an awareness that's uh, that's first and foremost. I, I think many physicians, certainly the ones that we've worked with, aren't as as familiar with uh, the HIPAA requirements that, that, that they uh, should be you know, adhering to as they need to be. I, I've been in physicians' offices where one in particular who said, you know, ever since I made Wi-Fi available in my waiting room, my patients love that. And I asked him about a firewall, and he didn't know what I was talking about. And in fact, his his entire network was accessible through his Wi-Fi service. So we certainly uh, rectified that. But I think there is uh, a lack of uh, sophistication both in terms of for those who understand HIPAA, a little bit about HIPAA and understand that they need to be concerned with privacy and security and those that don't. I think if you go back to the meaningful use rules where it's, uh, you, one of the requirements to be a meaningful user is to do a security review and the um, guidelines for how to do that are set out in the Federal Register, uh, that is a very straightforward and really pretty easy to implement approach towards a, a, a physician reassuring himself that he has in fact taken the appropriate steps to make sure that that information is safeguarded. And any uh, reputable vendor will uh, explain in detail to a physician exactly how their product works and what safeguards are in place to ensure that there are, are no uh, vulnerabilities to HIPAA or vulnerabilities to, um, to hacking that might, might happen with that software. What are the most common risk mitigation strategies that smaller practices that are new to EHRs are starting with? What are they doing first? I think uh, the biggest one is looking very hard at software as a service, as, a, uh, as an approach, as opposed to having a server with the software mounted directly operating in their office. Uh, when they go with the hosted solution, they are able to access a level of security that most practices, even large medical practices, can't actually afford to have in place. Uh, some of the vendors have software as a service um, hosted solution options that are actually hosted in data centers that are SAS 70 compliant. So they, these are behind firewalls that are um, you know, acceptable for uh, military intelligence purposes. There is uh, such a data center in my hometown of Tampa that um, hosts not only an EHR um, product, but also hosts uh, military apps for CENTCOM, which is there at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa. That kind of security is, is not going to be you know, commercially available to a small practice in a, in a configuration other than a hosted solution. Well, that's interesting because some folks have concerns that cloud computing software as a service can be mm -hmm. less secure and create more risk issues, but you're saying for a small organization going from paper, nothing to automated, right. taking the security steps can be easier by using a cloud partner? 
Absolutely, because then, then they'll take care of your backup issues. Typically, a, a good-sized hosting company like that will have multiple locations, so the backup is, is a fairly automatic consideration. You don't have to worry, and this is a big consideration in Florida, you don't have to worry about lightning strikes to your building. Um, it may, in fact, take down your building, but you'll still be able to log on via wireless um, VPN to your, uh, to your hosted site so you can get to your um, application. Uh, even in a fairly extreme situation. I just keep coming back to the idea that um, if I've had a paper-based office, the security level is so low there. I mean, we've done some work in the state of Mississippi and I have a lovely photo I can show you of medical records strewn across the beach and, uh, at, on the coast of Mississippi post-Katrina. So um, the, uh, the security implications of paper records are are far greater than uh, going to uh, electronic health records where security is a primary component of the certification requirements for 2011 meaningful use certification. I know another thing that you do a lot of is uh, advising emerging health information exchanges in several different states. As, as those are being built, what are the primary steps that, that they're taking to make sure information remains secure and private in transit? Health information exchanges at the state level have a great regard for the requirements of privacy and security. And typically in the, the states where we've been involved in um, developing the strategic and operational plans, a large component has been looking at the security and privacy concerns of the various stakeholders and also looking at um, state legislation and, and state law because in many cases we've found that legislative changes are necessary in order to create consistency in care setting, the care setting that's going to participate in the HIE. I am very comfortable with the level of technology that is um, implemented in a modern HIE that involves record locator service, encryption, authentication, um, a, a clear audit trail. Um, the HIE efforts that we've been involved in have, have led with the question of privacy and security, uh, because that's a that's a deal killer for many of the participants that you know we try to solicit uh, to come on board and, and work with the HIE. Very good. How do you see uh, health information exchanges evolving over the over the next couple of years, and what new issues will that raise? I think it's interesting because we a lot of conversation here at HIMSS about moving to the cloud, and and uh, it, on one level. What is the cloud? You know, if you, if it, Facebook is a cloud, you know, uh, Google is a cloud. So um, I think what the cloud means is just a virtualization of data access. Um, so clearly, clearly we're moving in, in that direction. But I also think that HIEs are going to become maybe a bit more organic. I mean, in the past, we've been working in this area since 2005, 2006, and some of the early um, HIE efforts, the Rio efforts, were more focused on wouldn't it be nice to have a health information exchange as opposed to looking at a setting where perhaps you have a critical access hospital and a diagnostic radiology center and a, a set of, of uh, physician practices that refer into that critical access hospital. Well, there you've got a natural and organic need to exchange data on a day-in and day-out basis. When you build an HIE effort around that kind of instance, 
then you get something that's sustainable and intrinsically has value and you can build a sustainability model because the participants understand it. we can quantify that and we can put together a business use case that says at X number of dollars per month or per transaction this is being offset by an improvement in outcome or a redu reduction in cost or uh, an increased speed in the, um, the moving of the data from point A to point B. That's where true sustainability comes from and I think you'll see more and more of that. And then um, secondly, uh, you're going to see a big influence of the in-hen and what that means as the states begin to um, do the network of networks. So what, who gets to connect to the statewide HIE and then from that point who connects to the NHIN via NHIN Direct and NHIN Connect. We're going to begin to see the actual availability of data across state lines and in care settings where um, we, we really haven't seen it before. So I think eventually, I, I won't go on record as predicting a year, but I think we are within a reasonable vision of seeing a patient from California in uh, Orlando, where we are today, who becomes ill in an amusement park and is non-communicative through the NHIN being able to access information that will be um, vital to their appropriate care in an emergency care setting here. That's where we really want to go. Doesn't that raise some new privacy issues in terms of uh, that national exchange of data? I think it does. I think those issues have more to do with authentication versus encryption. I think the authentication pieces are are making great strides. I don't know where the, they will end up. I'm not an expert in, in biometric authentication, but certainly that's, that is one avenue where I think we'll begin to see um, more and more sophistication brought to bear. And then when you have opt-in and opt-out, uh, and some of this is so, so necessary when we begin to go across state lines, and you are talking about the in-hen, the opt-in, opt-out makes it much simpler for information to go from or to be available from point A to point B. And that's uh, some of what's happening right now with the DOD um, VA project, the VLER project, which is a virtual lifetime um, electronic record that they're looking at implementing uh, on the federal side. So I think that may end up being a model for the commercial side of, of HIE. Okay, well, thanks, Patricia. We've been talking today with Patricia Dodgen, CEO of Helix, a consulting firm. Uh, this is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.